0: Hi there, thanks for being part of the BJSM community and choosing this BJSM podcast. You might be surprised to know that we're approaching a million listens on our podcasts and there are over 230 to choose from and I'm confident that today's guest, Professor Adrian Bowman, will keep us ticking along towards that number of a million listens which we anticipate hitting before the 2016 Olympics in Rio. Adrian, thanks a lot for being on the podcast.
1: Hello and g'day.
0: Let's imagine that you're the boss of the world, and what would you do for promoting health?
1: We can look at the things we can do to improve health, and those things are the preventable risk factors. That's been studied by the World Health Organization in the burden of disease studies, and one of the most important amongst them is physical inactivity, and it's also the most prevalent risk factor in many countries. In other words, More than half the adult population is not even meeting the minimum guideline of 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity activity. So it's a big problem, so I'd go straight for physical activity if I was boss of the world.
0: And our community would be very interested in that. So what are the specifics that you would implement?
1: Anything you do is better than not doing anything if it's getting to the whole population. And this is fundamental to thinking about physical activity in a new way. It's not just the patients, the clients that you see one-on-one or in small structured exercise programs. It's the whole community, so it's everyone in the world, which is more than half the world, is inactive. When we think about what we can do, We developed a document called the seven best investments, and I think that's been covered in an earlier podcast. Of those seven investments, six are outside the health setting. In other words, they've got to do with transport, urban planning, work in schools, mass media campaigns, community-based work. And sport, the one that's in the health setting, the only one, is primary care advice, All primary care level professionals should be giving advice to everyone they see. Everyone, nurses, physios, doctors, tell their patients and clients not to smoke. But how many are talking about physical activity with their patients and clients? Very few, typically well under 10%. So we need to start to think about that as a way of reshaping what we do in primary prevention.
0: And we have a terrific community of clinicians who are in a position to do this. So let's focus on the positive and the constructive. What should folks listening to this do practically?
1: Firstly, we've got to get out of the paradigm of efficacy studies only, where we've done randomised control trials with small select groups of volunteers. And we've shown that if you're in primary care and you do the following 16-session counselling process with structured exercise along the side, everyone will improve. That's efficacy. In other words, it's shown to work in a scientific study. But we know from studies with general practitioners, primary care physicians, that The main problem is reach, not efficacy. It's getting to all the patients and clients that you see. It's getting to everyone that you see. We also know that even brief advice, even two minutes from a primary care professional, is nearly but not quite as good as the full-blown 16-session multi-counseling process. So what we need to do is think more about reach, not reach 1% of our patients with a proven evidence-based programme but reach 30, 40, 50% of the people that walk in, that are able to walk, that go out with a message about walking more, building activity into their lives, not using the lifts or elevators, but using the stairs, and actually thinking about activity a little bit more than whatever they walked in for.
0: And so let's make that even more practical for the clinicians listening in their practices. Let's say you're on the board for a physio practice and they want to get your advice to implement some of these things. Are you thinking about pamphlets? Are you thinking about social media? Are you thinking about verbal conversations? Are you talking about the office receptionist?
1: We've had four or five decades in health promotion and prevention of pamphlets, and pamphlets have a waste paper basket reflex which is almost instantaneous. Websites are becoming that way because there's a myriad of websites websites that people can look up anything on. It's really the one-to-one brief advice. It's talking to people about their circumstances. If you're a physio treating someone's upper limb, you can talk about their lower limbs and getting them to mobilise them, saying, why don't you park a bit further away? Why don't you take the dog for a walk, take the kids for a walk, take the grandkids for a walk? If you're a dietician or a nutritionist, if you're a nurse practitioner, if you're a family care physician, it's building physical activity advice in, just like we've built anti-smoking advice into routine practice, such that it becomes part of the way you interact with people. How are you? How's the family? How's your physical activity? Becomes part of the conversation while you're administering whatever therapy you might be doing. And it's that two minutes of brief one-on-one counselling interpersonal interaction that works So I'm not a fan of brochures, community resources, and all those things. They're useful in the background. You hand that to them or have them in the waiting room or have them in a place where people can access them, but they're not the primary strategy likely to work. It's talking to people in their lives. It's knowing that they live on a steep hill. It's knowing that they could walk to the bus because they live on a bus route. It's knowing that they have a dog. It's knowing that they have a grandchild. It's those kinds of things that the clinical relationship between the provider, exercises. Scientist, physiotherapist, or whoever, and the person they're seeing makes a difference to that person. People take notice of health professionals' advice. They take it seriously when it's delivered orally, one one on one. And that kind of advice can, can go a long way, even if quite brief, almost too brief to be thought effective, but it works. People remember those things, but they don't remember a pamphlet that you gave them.
0: And Adrian I'm going to argue that the person knows they should be playing with their grandchildren or they should be catching the bus. So what's the psychological limitation that we all have as individuals when we don't do our exercise and how can we as clinicians then deal with that?
1: The biggest barrier people have is they say they have no time but yet people manage to spend two and a half hours watching television a night on average. People also say that, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, and then tomorrow they say, I'll do it tomorrow, and tomorrow actually never comes. So it's about goal setting. It's about getting people to do things multiple times a week, preferably on most days. We used to get people to keep diaries. We now have all kinds of wearable technologies that are pedometers and accelerometers in smartphones and wearable on your wrist that are reasonably accurate for these purposes for people to actually monitor if they're doing things. And it can tell you when you haven't walked more than 3,000 steps, and you can increase. How much more? Every person should think about where they are now and try and add 2,000 steps a day, on average, every day. And that's a good starting point. Not everyone's going to be able to get to 10,000 steps, which is a good goal. Older adults, it's about 7,500 steps a day. But everyone should add a bit, around 2,000 steps. That's 20 minutes of moderate walking to get up to their half an hour a day of moderate intensity physical activity. So there's lots of ways to get people to get self-reminders these days that motivate them that they can use instead of the old diaries that we used to get to to log how many steps or how much they did.
0: And would you say you're a successful um, example of this and what do you do?
1: Firstly, health professional. Health professionals like me, especially epidemiologists, we're obsessive about monitoring data. And I used to keep records in Excel spreadsheets of my steps on my pedometer before they had wearable technology. So we like to know how much we did. But all that I do, and I do no structured exercise, but I walk my dog morning and evening for half an hour... I ride my bicycle about four and a half kilometres, just under three miles, to and from work every day. And I'm accumulating my physical activity quite easily as time equivalents for things that I need to do. It's the same time to drive or catch the bus as it is to ride my bike. So really, I'm just building physical activity into my life. I work in a building where I'm on the sixth floor. I always take the stairs up and sometimes I catch the elevator or lift down.
0: And I just came to this meeting at the sixth floor of the Centre for Hip Health and Mobility in Vancouver, and a person caught the elevator to go up one flight of stairs. Not from our team, but from another team. And I've seen people use the elevator to go down one flight of stairs, and I do find that difficult to deal with, but I try not to say anything. So Adrian, you've done the practical things. What about this idea of sedentary behaviour? Should we minimise that? Is that as big a deal as has been made out in some circles?
1: Sedentary behavior is the metabolic consequences of prolonged sitting. In other words, prolonged sitting will raise your blood sugar level, increase insulin resistance, and if you interrupt sitting or sit less, you'll be metabolically healthier. Now this is particularly relevant to people who are physically inactive. In other words, if you are active in the mornings or afternoons, you walk around at work, you walk around at lunchtime, Sitting's less of an issue for you, but if you're physically inactive, there's a dose response relationship. The more you sit, the more your risk of things particularly like metabolic related disease. So it is important to break up sit- prolonged sitting, not sit for hours on end. It's also important not to stand too long because you can get musculoskeletal symptoms and low back pain as adverse consequences of prolonged standing. So the happy medium is not sitting too long, particularly if you're not meeting the physical activity guidelines or your patients aren't. They're the people who shouldn't be prolonged sitters and they need to know not to sit for hours on end but just interrupt sitting, get up and move around for a minute every hour or two minutes every hour, that's sufficient.
0: So how do we get people to do that, Adrian, incidental activity, stairs?
1: We've actually got to change social norms. We've got to change the way we think about the choices that we make. You see people lining up at an escalator where the stairs next to the escalator are free. We've got to think about making time-equivalent active choices normative in our lives, our patients' and our clients' lives. Just like in many countries, in many Western countries, we've made tobacco smoking non-normative, it's socially unacceptable. We've got to make inactivity less acceptable and the active choices more just the way we do things and lead our lives. And that's about a whole culture change, which is the real challenge for us to get everyone active over the next decade or two.
0: And Adrian, the inner core of the BJCM community has 23 member societies, but we welcome people from all around the world, of course. Which are the countries that are doing best?
1: Some countries build in incidental physical activity into everyday lives, like the Netherlands or Denmark, because they've built cycling infrastructure and public transport instead of car use. Some countries, particularly in my part of the world in East Asia, have built physical activity out of their lives by moving from bicycles and walking to work and everywhere to motorcycles and then to cars. We've got to re-engineer ways of building physical activity into our lives. The sitting story are a little bit more complex, but developing countries, countries in Africa, countries in Latin America, sit very little and developed countries sit incrementally more, so we really need to think about how we can reframe how we do work, how we use desks, how we have meetings, if we're going to break up our sitting.
0: Thanks Adrian, really appreciate you being with me today.
1: That's a pleasure, and please now stand up.
0: And you're listening to Adrian Bowman, who is a professor of epidemiology nationally renowned he works for the world health organization and it's great to have someone from a different perspective joining us in the bjsm community thanks for listening as we always say have an active day